Let's pray, and we'll excuse the children for Children's Church. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth that we find there. I thank you that you have given to us a revelation of who you are and what you do. And Father, I thank you that we find you so amazing, so incredible. And I ask, Father God, that you would fill us with your word today, that you would stir us up. Holy Spirit, remind us of your word. Remind us of the mighty things that God is capable of doing and that he's real and he's alive and he's mighty and that we are his. And I ask, Father God, that you would use us wherever we're at to spread the gospel. And I also ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd help each one of us in the body of Christ to encourage one another and to build one another up. Thank you, Father God, for this time we have this morning. And I ask that as the children go downstairs, that they would be filled with your word, that they would know the truth. Be with the helpers and the teachers, that they would have the right words to say to those children. And I thank you that you've given us opportunity to present the truth of the gospel to the next generation. Thank you, Father God for all that you've done and all that you continue to do for your people. In Christ's name, amen. Children, walk calmly and with great manners to Children's Church. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. We're going to continue this morning in our series on miracles. And I'm reminded again that, that we call them miracles because they're not regular. And this is going to be very much the case today because today's miracles that we're going to look at from Scripture are of people being raised from the dead. It's, it's incredible to think about, really. And these have been, it's been fun to study this. And these are very important episodes to begin with, we need to understand that we have this thing called death. And death is a difficult subject for all of us. The Bible speaks very clearly about death, but it speaks about it in two different ways. It speaks of physical death, and it also speaks of spiritual death. The Bible covers both. And both are the result of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Let's go back to Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And when God made that statement, you shall surely die, he meant both physical death and spiritual death. Now, Adam and Eve, it's obvious if, if you read Genesis... They did not immediately physically die. That took hundreds of years, actually. But they immediately died spiritually. The spiritual death occurred right then. And because that spiritual death happened, they were judged. So they're judged in this whole thing. And their judgment that was passed by God was to be removed from the paradise of the garden... And in that garden, that was where they had this incredible relationship with God. They enjoyed direct 
contact with God, that changed. This is the beginning of spiritual death for all humans. All humans are dead. That, that seems weird, doesn't it? But spiritually, all humans are dead. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul's point is everybody is dead until they come to Christ. Though it took many years for physical death to occur in Adam and Eve, the process of death began immediately. It just took a while. There's some reasons for that. The, pro- the process of both physical death and spiritual death are now present in all humans. Always will be until Christ comes back. This is something that Paul teaches us in Romans 5. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. No one is exempt. When physical death occurs, there's nothing that we can do to reverse this. Have you noticed that? Even even the modern medicine will agree. When you're dead, you're dead. And for two years, I worked in a, in a mortuary, and I've got stories, I can tell you. Dead is dead. Everyone will die. Until Christ comes back, every human being will die. Death is a reality. And it's a reality because of sin. When, when God breathed life into Adam, there was physical life. And there was spiritual life. The soul of Adam, spirit, soul, how how that all works together, that will never die. It will never cease to exist, is what I mean. A person can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. Spiritual death is best understood when we start to look at this from a biblical perspective. Spiritual death is separation from God. That means there's no relationship with God. We're surrounded with people, you know, the walking dead. And they're dead because they don't have a relationship with Christ. They don't know God. They don't have that relationship. The implications of this is huge. This is huge. When a person dies where they go. So where a person spends eternity is completely dependent upon a person's relationship with God. That relationship can only be adjusted in this life. You can only accept Christ here. So before your physical body quits, you've got to come to Christ or you have chosen a very, very bad place to spend eternity separated from God. We struggle with the physical death, and sometimes I wonder if we don't struggle more with the physical death than the spiritual death, but the, the reason that we struggle with it is because death is, is very final. 
Life ends and, and people that we, we love are gone and we never can interact with them again. So in, the, in today's stories, that's, that's the foundation, that's the background we need to, to see in these stories. Because these people that we're going to read about are physically raised from the dead. These are narratives of real events. These people were dead and had life restored to them. They walked and talked and interacted with people after they rose from the dead. These are presented as factual, historic narratives of truth. Miracles. Now, I believe in in the, the things that I studied that there's probably eight prominent stories of raising the dead in Scripture. I've chosen four. And I'm not going to do them in chronological order. And there'll be a reason for that. But that's, that's okay. This is not something that you see all the time. There has to be a reason. Another thing I want you to keep in mind about this particular kind of miracle, this raising from the dead, is that the person or persons that are raised from the dead in these stories, they all died twice, with one exception. And that exception is Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive. All the others that rose from the dead had to die again. To me, dying twice? Dying twice is horrible. And, and the horribleness of that dying twice, that needs to deepen our understanding of why we don't experience or read about lots of people being ra- raised from the dead. It just it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because that's not what God intends. In each of these stories, God had a specific reason for each resurrection. It's a part of his plan. So there's a specific reason for the resurrection. And those reasons impact his bigger plan. So let's start with the first of these resurrections in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. The woman is, is she, she's got this house, and this is where Elijah was living. She comes to Elijah, and she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. 
And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I'll get it. That's, that's the purpose. The, the woman declares that she knows now that Elijah is a man of God. This was God's reason for the miracle. This is such an amazing demonstration of power. Power that only God has. It's a demonstration that proves that Elijah is authentic. That's the purpose. This authenticated Elijah's ministry as a prophet. When people heard about Elijah raising the boy from the dead, they'd certainly listen to Elijah as a true prophet. And it, I can't imagine that this woman, she's got this son, he dies, and Elijah takes the boy and, and the boy raises from the dead. And, and she doesn't tell anyone. Right? I just can't imagine that happening. Can you? I'm not saying that women talk a lot, but, you know... She goes to the market. What's she going to talk about? The price of beans? Or is she going to talk about her son being raised from the dead? My son was dead. And Elijah rose. You know, he did whatever. And my son rose from the dead. We need to listen to Elijah. That was God's purpose for this miracle. This needs to be a place where our mind goes whenever we talk about these kinds of powerful miracles. Now let's go on. Let's jump to the New Testament. The next resurrection this morning. This is from Acts chapter 9, beginning of verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Do you see the reasoning there? Do you see why God did this? Many believed. So here we are, New Testament, and it's Peter. The scriptures haven't been given yet. Peter's preaching the word, but who's Peter? This is the same thing that happened with Elijah. God does this astonishing miracle, a miracle that only God can perform to authenticate the ministry of Peter. Same reason, same part of God's plan. 
Peter was proclaiming the truth. They didn't have the Bible to go check him. You know, is he really talking about what God's doing? He needed to be authenticated. God did that by raising Tabitha from the dead. And again, who's going to keep that a secret? That news is going to spread, isn't it? People needed some way to know that the apostles, like Peter, were the real thing. So God performs a miracle that only God can do. Now, we're going to go on to the next one, and the next one's extremely important. And it's familiar. John 11. This is, this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. John eleven seventeen. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So this is, this is an incredibly important resurrection. It's vital because Jesus is taking people past the physical resurrection to the reality of spiritual resurrection and to eternal life after this life. His friend has been dead. And he's going to raise him from the dead. The reason is to authenticate Jesus. Well, there's part of that. But he's also messing with the Jews. This, he's doing this purposely. So all these Jews come. I, I believe Lazarus was really well known. And he's a personal friend of Jesus. But this family, especially Lazarus, everybody knew this guy because it, you know, all these Jews had come to be with Mary and Martha because Lazarus had died. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he is incredibly angering the Jews. He's ticking them off. That's part of the plan. It's exactly part of the plan. This, is, this has to occur in God's plan to take us to the crucifixion. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And when one of the reasons is specifically so the Jews get so angry with him that they want to crucify him. Now let's go on in the story. John 11, verse 32. Mary comes. Now when Mary came to the, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved 
and, and deeply moved, that's, that's a very powerful statement. This is not just a little. This is deep. He's, he's a mess emotionally. He's greatly troubled. Verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And we have verse 35. Jesus wept. Two words, incredibly powerful. Wept there is from decrio, and it means silently bursting into tears. So Jesus is emotionally a mess, and then he just bursts into tears. His best friend is dead. I believe that, that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were so close to Jesus. There's a deep friendship here. And, and one of his best friends is dead, has been dead for four days. Emotionally, the humanity of Jesus is showing. He's, he's struggling because Mary and Martha are, are intensely grieved at this. But when I read this, my, my mind goes to someplace else. And it's my opinion that, yeah, he's feeling all of those emotions about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all of the things going on. But it's also my opinion that Jesus is also feeling incredible, deep emotion because he knows Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. He knows where, Abraham, where, where Lazarus is at. Lazarus is a man of God. He's died and he's gone to Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham's bosom would be understood as a, a place we might also call paradise. It's a holding place until the end. And, and he's a godly man. He's, he's in a cool place. This is a good place. He's in paradise. So what's grieving Jesus? Jesus is going to bring him back. His close friend, Lazarus, has, has died, and, and he's, he's there spiritually, and he, he knows what's there on the other side of death, and, and it's good, and he, and he can see what God is doing in a whole different realm than we can. And not only that, Jesus is going to bring him back to life, and Lazarus will have to die again. Would you want that on your friend? Oh, Lazarus, by the way, you're going to have to die a second time. Just, just saying. That's not, man, that's horrible. This is horrible. To go to paradise and then have to come back to this world? Awful. Terrible. Jesus knew the difference. Lazarus knows the difference. But Jesus has a reason. Raising Lazarus is an incredibly important part of the plan. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. The Jews got that part right. Then Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Duh. For he's been dead four days. I, I don't want to overdo it, but 
I worked in that mortuary for a couple of years, four days. I've been there. I, odor is a pretty nice word. Whew. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is speaking up here because he wants everybody to know I'm God. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Man, if you were there, would you, what would you do? You're at the cemetery and Jesus says, come out. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty normal. This is incredible. This is only something God does. Jesus has authenticated his claims to be God. He speaks. And I believe that this miracle is so powerful that Jesus had to use the specific name Lazarus because the power of Jesus was so great and is so great that if he had just said, come out of the tomb, everybody in that garden of tombs would have come out. Then what would they have done? Jesus has powerfully demonstrated that he is God. No question. The the Jewish leaders go crazy. They are furious. No one can be God but God. Later in chapter 11, John describes the reaction of the Jews. And I think verse 53 clearly tells us how this resurrection was part of God's plan. And I think verse 53 clearly tells us where the Jews really were at. It says this, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Can you imagine this? Jesus comes to the tomb. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he says, come out. And Lazarus is alive again. And the Jews' response isn't, he's the Messiah. Instead, their response is, we've got to kill him. Incredible. Hard-hearted, ah, I, I don't want to swear. But that's part of God's plan. Jesus had to go to the cross. And that takes us to where we'll finish this morning. This is the last one of our four miracles today. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from us 
from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is, this is Easter. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's dead. He's been buried. He's been placed in Joseph's tomb. He raises from the dead. And this miracle of resurrection, this resurrection is completely different from all of the others because Jesus never died again. He's alive today. This is so important. And it's so important because in Jesus doing what he's done and raising from the dead and not having to die ever again, he has conquered death. He's conquered physical death. Death has no power. Paul expresses this this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying what is, that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Jesus just rose from the dead. Death It can't, he won over physical death. And as his people, we don't need to fear physical death. But it doesn't stop just there because Jesus also conquered spiritual death. Remember, we started two deaths, physical death, spiritual death in the garden. Jesus took care of them both. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Believes what about the Son? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Then in John 6, 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Spiritual death has been conquered. Physical death has been conquered. And as believers, we win. We win with Christ. So the question this morning, for some who might be watching, maybe some here, what about you? Do you believe the resurrection of Jesus? Are you spiritually alive in Christ? Is that who you are? Or are you eternally spiritually dead? Separated from God. Choose. If you don't know whether you are spiritually alive because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, choose. Choose this day. Now's the time. Choose Christ. 
Believe in him. Believe that he came to pay, this, pay for your sins, that he died, was buried, and he rose from the dead, and he lives forever with God. And if you believe in Jesus, you will live forever with God. Choose. Choose this day. And for those of us who have made that choice, this is the gospel. This is the truth that God has given us that we should take everywhere our God takes us. Everywhere you go in your life, this is the gospel that Jesus is alive. And he's conquered death. And his plan and his purpose is for men and women and boys and girls to be his through Christ. Let's take it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the love you've given us through your son. I thank you that you chose to send your son to die for us. Jesus, thank you that you endured the cross, that you endured being entombed. And thank you that you rose from the dead and that you're alive. Thank you that you are part of the plan and that plan was to save us. And now, Father God, I rejoice that the body of Christ is alive as well. Take us from this place. Take us in such a way that we rejoice about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that all around us can see that Jesus is alive and that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for your love. In Christ's name, amen.